Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to Sentimental Garbage, the podcast where we talk about the culture we love that society sometimes makes us feel ashamed of. My name is Caroline, which is close enough to Karen that it makes me very nervous. Joining me is a woman who used to send feedback letters to her local library, Otega Wogba. Hello. Can we specify that that was as a child? <laughs> Just Is that, do you, does that make it better? I think so. You were a complaining little child. But I feel like it's like precociously sweet then, as opposed yes. to like, let's say 28 year old me sending angry letters to like cash strapped under resourced <laughs> local libraries being like Meh. so when you wrote these letters to your local library as a child crucially not as an adult uh i believe they wrote back to you yeah my mum kept the responses and there's actually one uh dated 15th of july 1997 so oh, wow. i was seven years old and peak spice girl so peak you're probably very empowered um peak <laughs> yes i was and it's the subject is talk back dear otega thank you for filling in a talk back form at newington library i am sorry you seem to have read all the books you like in the library we are buying more all the time but can i also suggest that you have a look at the goodreads file blah 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 I am glad you like the posters and find them useful. And what I enjoy about that is that I clearly sent like a shit sandwich of a letter. Which <laughs> Even was then like, you understood. I was like, I knew how to get the best out of people. So I clearly was like, hey, the book selection, you know, isn't popping. Like I've read everything I want to read. But also, you know, well done on the posters. Keep up the good work. And this lady was like, okay, Christine Brown, write me back. Which I think is very sweet oh. that they bothered doing that. So yeah. That's me. So that kind of talks us into um, what we're talking about today, which you very graciously, we've, we've been, I've been wanting to get you on the pod for a while. For years. Years now. Been friends for some time and we, we never quite hit it. And we know that like, <laughs> well, whatever episode Otega's got to do, it's not going to be a throwaway. It's going to be epic. And then I had a cancellation yesterday. And we, and we, at the same time, we were talking about this long awaited, when's, what, what's Otega going to talk about? And I just said, how about being a bitch? <laughs> I think it's testament to our friendship that I immediately was like, oh, that's so good. <laughs> and wasn't at all offended. Still, I'm not offended. And I was like, yes, that would be my specialist topic. I think the thing is as well, it's like a lot of people who come on this show are very nerdy about like quite niche mm. areas of culture. Whereas all of the culture I like is very mainstream. Like mm -hmm. I love succession. Mm. Like this, do you know what I mean? It's like, I'm not going to come on this show and talk about succession because yeah. everyone's fucking talking about it. So, do you know what I mean? So it's like... Totally. Finding my And I, I respect your respect for, for what this show is trying to do and that you haven't just like, throw, like you know, thrown me a softie underhand and then we just talk about something you don't really care about that much and then we just tick it off our list. We waited and we've picked 
being a bitch. Like, <laughs> and that is not like... It's so, not even a cultural topic, but we will make it cultural. We will make it cultural. And I think it is a cultural topic because you, you're someone in my life who... Um, and I find this I find this kind of lovely that like whenever I want... I'm afraid I'm being too much or I need to be more, you are the door I will knock on. If mm. I feel like I'm being screwed over at a hotel and I need advice on how exactly how to handle the situation with like self-advocacy, self-respect, but while not being like a cunt, not being like a cunty fucking Karen about something, mm. um, but still like advocating for my own consumer rights, you will be the person I go to. If I feel like I've overstepped it on an email with somebody, you will be the person I go to. And it just like, when I look, when I searched the word complain in our <laughs> WhatsApp history, there was like 36, <laughs> and like when I pieced it all together, I was like, oh wow, over several years, a friendship is really growing here. <laughs> Complaining is one of my hobbies. Self-advocacy and complaining are my yeah. hobbies. I'm very good at those things, Yeah, I think. But I think as well, you know, especially for women, like complaining has negative connotations. And actually you can think about it one way, which is complaining, or you can think about it as self-advocacy, which is how I generally think about it. I don't know how the people on the receiving end, like if you're a hotel manager, he's like, yep, yeah, a customer complaining. But I'm like... Mm-hmm. Okay, for example, the hotel thing. Mm -hmm. I think you came to me over that because last year or the year before, I posted about, I posted this like unbelievable hotel upgrade Mm -hmm. I'd gotten Mm -hmm. when I was on holiday because I complained about some issues in the original room I booked. And the reason I complained about those issues was because, so this was, I went to Mallorca, this was like a year and a half ago, two years ago. And the first half I stayed in like a really cute family run small super cheap b&b and it was lovely amazing i like i don't even tell people what it's called because i was like this is my little secret and it was fine the second half i decided to treat myself and i booked a really fucking nice hotel like the smallest cheapest room in a really fucking nice Mm -hmm. hotel and there were just all these like little issues with it and i was like "Mm, i feel like i'm paying too much Mm. for this to just let this slide and so I went down to reception and essentially said as much to them. And I was like, this isn't cool. I was like, and I said to manager, I was like, what are you going to do about it? And I was like, can you speak? I was like, can I speak to the, I was like, I was the definition of a Karen. I was like, can I speak to the manager? Because mm-hmm. I knew the guy on front desk wasn't the guy with decision making power. I was like, mm-hmm. can I speak to the hotel manager? Can you speak to him and ask him to like come back essentially with an offer? I was thinking I want a discount. In the end, not only did I get a discount on this day, they also upgraded me to this, like the nicest hotel room I will ever see. It was like a suite. Wow. It was unbelievable. And I was like, hey, don't ask, don't get. And it was yeah. great. And everybody felt happy. Like, you know, I went on my merry way. But the point was, when you're paying that much for something, there is like higher expectations. Sure. So like, I wouldn't have expected anything really from like the super cheap B&B place. I mean, there's mm-hmm. nothing that I would have complained about. But like if you're staying somewhere, I kept on being like, I expect more from a four star hotel. And then like when I got home, I realized it actually wasn't a four star hotel. I just felt like it was because it was so nice. Um, So, yeah, that's kind of, I guess, why you then. Yes. Came to you then a while later about like I'd gotten, you know, totally shafted on the most expensive hotel room in Dublin. That was, I think it was like 400 and something a night. Was it? Yeah. And I, I was, Fuck. yeah, it was bad. It was, Dublin's just but bad. the picture you sent me. It was like. That is, I'm so, 
Oh my god! It was two twin beds. That is insane. I'm horrified. It was horrible. Sorry. It was like two twin beds, um, over like a very like not even like in central Dublin, like in a horrible little street that had an incredibly loud, uh, party happening downstairs. The alarm clock was pre-programmed to go off at seven a.m. Oh my god! It was just bad, and like I was just festering in my room, getting like depressed that I had been swindled. And then, um, you sort of helped me, sort of, you kind of talked me through every step of going downstairs and sort of not basically presenting to someone like I have a problem. How are you going to fix it? And then, st- and then you stop talking, kind of thing, mm. uh, which is one of the things I've learned about. When you have to complain, you have to set a limit in your head of when you're going to stop talking. But like lar- larger than that, it's like, I think. It's also about boundaries and like holding your own. Yes. And kind of self-advocating. I feel like obviously a lot of the work and I've written a lot about self-advocacy in a work-related context. Like I've written books about work and it's like how to negotiate work, how to deal with this tricky situation at work. And it's because for years, as we've talked about, like when I worked in advertising, I was fucking like walked over by all sorts of people and I was treated like shit. And so once I became self-employed, I mean, obviously it took some, you know, you kind of learn these things, but I would say I'm probably also quite like a naturally quite confident person. But it, gets to the point where I'm like, I think I'm really good at what I do. And so when someone doesn't value that or respect that Mm. or doesn't treat me with respect, I will point that out and push back and be like, no, this is what I expect. Because I have done, let's say, I don't know, it's like if somebody tries to pay you not very well for like moderating a panel and it's like, Mm -hmm. do you know how many of these I've fucking done? And do you know Mm -hmm. how many of them I've done for free to get as good as I am? So you will now pay me this. And like... If you don't have the budget, that's fine. But don't tell me that I don't deserve that. It's fine if you don't have the money. That happens. Mm-hmm. But don't tell me that that's like too high. Yeah. And that's, um, that is such an important thing. I'm glad you pointed out. It's so much to do with how we work now, which is, um, yeah, lots of people do work more freelance. Or even if they're not a freelancer, they'll do bits on the side to supplement their income. But it applies to full-time work as well. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like you're, yes, this might be an hour of my day half an hour from my home but you're not paying me for the time I'm committing now you're paying me for the time I've spent in the years coming up to this being an expert in this field learning how to moderate learning how to juggle complicated personalities on stage it's like you're not encouraged to to see the rarity of your own skill set especially and I think this is applies as well to sort of female leaning sort of media adjacent things where it's a lot of soft skills Mm -hmm. I think a few years ago there was this huge like obsessive thing of like the women in STEM thing right but like which is obviously yes we need to get more women in these kinds of roles and 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 adjust the sort of disparity but I also think part of that was not seeing that soft skills are skills. For example, moderating a panel where you've got a bunch of difficult personalities on stage and you need to make sure everybody is heard. And it's not just that, but also it's about the value it provides to the company. Like I also price that into my work. So if a big corporation wants me to do something for them and it's high profile, I'm like, this is a big deal for you. I know you guys are spending a lot of budget on this. Therefore, my rates will go up accordingly. Or like, you know, sometimes I do consultancy where like, you know, some company will call me and like they want insights on X, Y, Z topic that I'm uh, like a, I guess, an expert on. 
and maybe they want half an hour, an hour of my time on the phone. But I'm like, you're doing this for a huge client yeah, who's probably paying you a chunky retainer fee every month for the work you do for them. So I'm not, I'm going to price my fees accordingly. And it's different from what I would, I mean, I would do it pro bono if it's charity, but it's, yeah. it's like, it's, it, I, it's different from what I would charge like a magazine, for instance, because mm-hmm. fuck knows magazines have no money, you know? So yeah. yes. something like that. Um, and, and the sort of, and I'm just thinking of that specific reasoning, which is founded in logic and, you know, ordinary and normal, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I know that you're being paid by a bank to put on this event. Therefore, I should be... <laughs> I want to ch- want a cut I, of that. I want a cut of that if I'm going to be bringing people and if I'm going to be an attraction or whatever. Exactly. However, when I think of myself writing an email to some events manager at some thingy or whatever and be like, listen... I see by your posters that Barclays is sponsoring this event, which means that I know you're getting money because you don't know the details because mm. you're outside of the company. So you, what you have to do is make a series of sort of accusatory assumptions. I don't, even and then think you sound it's... like a fucking bitch. No, no. See, this is this is the mindset we need to coach because I don't yeah. think it is accusatory. It's it's just a fact. They are being sponsored by this bank, or they being like it is just a fact, and therefore. You know, and I've had this before. I remember once a magazine who shall remain unnamed, although I think I've kind of publicly called them out on Twitter anyway. So, but they like came to me at this event they wanted me to take part in. And I kind of clocked from the fact that the person who approached me worked at like a third party influencer agency. I was like, is this mm-hmm. a branded job? Like, is there yeah. a brand sponsoring this? And they were like, yes. And it was like a huge, and I was like, why do you think I would do this for free? Which is what they'd offered me knowing that you guys are being paid a lot of money to do this event where I will be the main attraction. So it yeah. is, I'm sorry, I've kind of lost my train of thought, but I think it, it's like, I don't, but I don't think it has to be an accusatory thing. Like I often say to people like, oh, my rates are different for editorial versus branded, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. anything corporate. Like, and I, I will say that, like, this is what I would charge you. Well, not even this is what I would charge you, but like, yeah, my fees are higher for corporate. Yeah. And it's just like, that's a fact. I'm a fucking freelance writer. <laughs> What do they want me to do? Yeah, like, if you're doing a branded event, you're not doing it for fun. But like, this is always just like one small example. And I realise that most people listening won't be doing this kind of like influencer writing work. But I do think it makes sense as or it, it, it's relevant as part of a larger conversation because I think you and I both started writing during this time of like this real boom period for like digestible feminist content, mm. which was a lot of the emphasis on that was like these... um life hacks for getting people to do what you want without necessarily (laughs) saying what you want. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds exhausting. (laughs) And it was like, um, one of them was like power posing. How did like taking up more physical space with your bike, like this very kind of Ms. Magazine. (laughs) Yeah, right. What good is that going to do me in a negotiation? It's very, and also it was like, I feel like there's something about that which is kind of placating women with like, by offering them these little tidbits and morsels. Yes. Rather than or even just misleading them into thinking that that is what is going to make a huge difference in, you know, their work life or their professional success is these kind of really small things like tinking around the edges. Like, yeah, okay, your body language probably will have an impact on how you're perceived, but so will just asking for more or saying, I want this, I want that, this is what I think should happen. Just, you know, I, I, it's, yeah. there is no magic secret to it. Yeah, but I think it's... <laughs> It's like, I remember the kind of post 
girl boss post lean in sort of conversation. And I think a movement that I was probably part of. Yeah, which I I really want to talk about because I feel like we've not as I think women female discourse in general. If we talk about like all the fucking magazines and online publications, social media chat and stuff, we just love to talk a rat to death about any <laughs> subject that comes in and we go, like, a, a subject will become so circular and eat itself within a cycle of three or four days. And I think that's true of all kinds of news cycle um, issues, but particularly true when these things pertain to women because mm. we just love to editorialise and talk about and find a new angle mm. and, and that's just kind of who we are. But we started with this thing and I think it really did begin with the Sheryl Sandberg lean in you know, advocate for yourself, all that kind of stuff. And then it became, yes, well, not everybody has that seat at the table to lean in in the first place and everyone has those opportunities. And then that, I, in my view, it's the two things, which has spawned a lot of similar lean-in type books, like the girl boss Sophia Maruso thing, which I think was... She was like the cool... She was the cool Cheryl <laughs> Sandberg. Cool Cheryl Sandberg and a biker jacket. Yeah, you know? exactly. With and a blunt bob. Blunt bob and ask for what you want and stuff. And then it, it was a publishing trend exploded. Mm-hmm. And then um, a fatigue came with that. Mm. And then the girl boss thing became rightly criticised for how it only really applied to the people who were on these management tracks already. But in that criticism, it became this Trojan horse with which to just beat any woman in a leadership role who was advocating on behalf of being a woman in a leadership role. Yeah, and you know, you see it on Twitter a lot. There is definitely like a type of, I guess, like cool girl, lefty feminist who exclusively uses the word girl boss as an insult. And I'm like, yes. first, if, if that's the fucking worst thing you can say, like, <laughs> okay, shit, sorry. But it has become such a loaded term and such an insult. And, you know, there are so many legitimate criticisms of that movement, many of which I wrote about in my last book. Um, It was exclusive, you know, very much only focused on white, affluent, you know, middle class women in kind of, I guess, professional circles. You can't lean in if you're like a zero hours Mm -hmm. worker at McDonald's or something like that. So... There was a lot of that. But then I think, as you say, it became like spitting out girl boss has just become like a cover for misogyny and also neglects to examine why women were so attracted to that movement in the first place. Like for me, I was, I guess, 25, 26 at this time and I had just left or I was... First of all, working in jobs I really fucking hated and was being treated by shit, specifically in a gendered way by the mm. men around me. Mm. Um, I knew I didn't want to work in advertising anymore. And then I like quit my job and was suddenly self-employed. And so all of those, you know, that I could see why that looked like salvation. Mm. You know, it was like, mm. I'm somebody who graduated into a recession, financial yeah. crisis. Like I was part of that generation. And all of a sudden it's like, you're not being paid that much at work, you know, you're not going to get the rewards that people a generation or two got from having a full-time job. So like, why don't you strike out and do your own thing and start your own business? And, you know, and and there was a lot to be said for that. Yeah. Um, And there was a reason women were attracted to it. Because also you have to remember that the girl boss era, this is before the Me Too movement, which has since provided an outlet for women to discuss a lot of their dissatisfactions with workplace norms. Obviously that was around sexual, around sexual harassment, and you know sexual misconduct but then it became like a wider conversation about like how women are discriminated against within the workplace the girl boss movement started before that so that was kind mm. of the first i think outlet in my generation 
where people were talking about the challenges of what it's like being a woman at work. And would it have emerged if we already had the Me Too movement? I don't know, maybe even laid the groundwork for that. You know, mm. those sorts of things. So I think, um, yeah, let's not let's not throw the baby out with the... Out with the girl boss water. Yeah, with the scented rose water. <laughs> um, so many things you said there have brought up so much for me. And uh, particularly is the girl boss movement as being the precursor of the Me Too movement, mm. which I don't think anyone's really looked into yet. And like, I... Do you think there's a lot in that? Because I remember very clearly where I was when the Harvey Weinstein story broke. And I think the first person to come forward was Ashley Judd, right? Mm. Like, and who's like not an actress that we think of a lot because of because of what happened to yeah. her, because she was ousted from an industry. Um, but I remember I was working at the pool at the time, which was a, a sort of a feminist website. Uh, feminist lifestyle website that I was a staffer and that you think you freelanced for a couple of times, right? Once or twice. Once or twice, yeah. Mm. Um, Thankfully, they paid me. I remember very clearly I was sitting uh, on my couch at night being like, okay, I'm going to have to get up early the next morning to look at stories before I go into work, which is how we organise our work day. Mm. We'd look at stories in the morning, we'd have a news meeting at 11am and we would take the best of what was there, mm. what had happened the night before. So I was kind of couldn't sleep and I was getting ahead of the next day's work on, on my couch, looking at my laptop, looking at the news and Hollywood Reporter, that story broke and I felt immediately like, oh, this is going to be huge. Like this is, Interesting. I knew who Harvey Weinstein was obviously and um, I was like, this is a big thing and then it was like, literally live things kept coming in and by the next day, people were putting Me Too on their Facebook and I'd already been working at that like mainstream feminist women's website that was all about, you know, power posing and this kind of, and all this kind of stuff for a year and a half, you know, like, and I do think and, and like the Catlin Moran, how to be a woman thing. There was all this swelling happening that needed, I don't know, it just needed that like to come to a head. And that was the, th- basically Me Too didn't happen overnight. And I think that's been talked about a lot. Like Time's Up, obviously, that that was coined several years beforehand, wasn't it? It was just the swelling. Me, yeah, Me Too was coined several years beforehand. But I think actually also you have to look at that, because that, that was like 2017-ish, like late 2017 this is also after Donald Trump had been elected, despite, yeah. um, you know, being caught on camera, uh, on tape, talking about grabbing women by the pussy. This is like post. And I, I also do think American politics are relevant for mm. us Brits because they just dominate everything. Mm. And like, you know, we had our eyes glued to the election and everyone yeah. thought that Hillary was going to win. And it was a big like pantsuit nation. And like, right. that was like the huge power. Yes. Thing. And then, oh, surprise, upset. Actually, she hasn't won. The misogynist man has won. Where does that leave us? Yeah. And so I think ever since then, it was kind of brewing. Right. Um, and it was like, and weirdly, I think, I heard Brett Easton Ellis say this, which like I don't, I don't love that man, but yeah. he, he, but like you can't argue that he's sometimes, not like the wokest. <laughs> he's not the, he's certainly not the wokest, but he is somebody who is just barging around with a hammer, and sometimes he hits a nail. And he said it's like Trump became the unkillable cockroach, and but Harvey Weinstein was a cockroach that was just killable enough mm. and so all of the like obviously I was a horrible person but it was all the rage that had been swelling from that was all of it was diverted onto that mm. and 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 he's a good proxy for him like these yeah. kind of like older ugly men like you know he he wasn't like a sort of young Hollywood actor he was a very powerful producer who also I think is important from what I've heard his influence wasn't at its peak anymore 
Yes. So yeah. that wouldn't have happened 5, 10, 15 years ago. But it was like, oh, okay, yeah. like, obviously he's still like a big shot, but like he's not quite like the big bad boss. Right. In many ways, it was too late and not enough, yeah. you know? But we're, we're getting on to Me Too, which I find it interesting that we're naturally going on to this because that was this huge channel for female rage, right? And I mm. do think this whole thing of like being unafraid to sort of be a bit of a bitch. Obviously, we've had those conversations already being like, well, people are afraid of female power. And that, that conversation happens every When a man years. says it, he's a boss. Uh, yeah. When a woman says it, she's a bitch. Exactly. And like that can be kind of exhausting just mm. because it's almost by rote. Even but, though it's massively based in truth. But yes, yeah, of it becomes tedious when it's like slapped on a t-shirt in Topshop. You know, it's like, yes. okay, fine. Yes, exactly. And But Me Too is being this moment of just quantified female rage happening. And there was like this weird year and a half where men were afraid of women. Mm, like, I missed that. <laughs> they kind of, like, I got it's a few... I, did you get any messages? I did not... But it made me reconsider a couple of, uh, I'll say, encounters. Yeah. Or scenarios that I've experienced in the past. Yeah. And I wondered whether it made the men involved reconsider. I will never know. But I know that, I do know that, like, another friend of mine also got, like, a message. Uh Um, But, yeah, just, it did definitely make me reevaluate, like, interactions with men (laughs) over the past, like, decade or two. I got I got one that was from somebody who then since went on to have like a public facing career and it was a be- really lovely message about like oh you know I've been thinking a lot about um you know women and how I treat them and what went down between you and I and da da and um I was like wow what a what a lovely thing this is so nice you've done some growing and then I remember like letting it sit for a while and being like you just don't want to lose what you have. Yeah. I, that's, <laughs> like when you said, I was like, yeah, I'm cynical. Yeah. Because also I do understand that there was like a re-education process where a lot of men suddenly looked at their behavior in a new light. But I also don't think it was like, like I remember when I was at uni, there was this incident. And so this would have been like 2009-ish. Mm. Um, and basically a guy... I went to uni with um not like a friend of mine but like you know at my a guy had basically hooked up with a very drunk girl Mm. and a different guy had found out about it and got really angry not because he was in any way like romantically interested in the girl but he was like how could you take advantage of her Mm. like this and I think he went to physically fight the first guy and it was kind of treated as this thing of like, oh my God, like, why is he overreacting? But I was like, no, there were some men who were like, no, that is appalling yeah. behavior. Yeah. She was not in a position to consent. And I think like amongst us girls, we were also like, oh, that's not really cool what he did. Yeah. So oh, I was like white knives kind of Yeah, thing. exactly. Yeah. But then the guy who got angry about it was treated as like being like OTT and like, what's it got to do with you? And it's like, so clearly we all sensed and knew even at that time that yeah. that wasn't okay. Yeah, it's just how much censure you faced then in two thousand nine is very different from twenty nineteen. But like on a gut level, men knew that wasn't okay. That's so interesting, and it's only it's only when they kind of got afraid of us. Yeah, <laughs> which they were for a bit. Yeah, <laughs> I, no. I I think kinda. Yeah. Um, I'm really as we've 
said at the beginning, top of this podcast. This is this is kind of a rogue subject that we this picked. This is last just rambling. Minute. We're just this is rambling. But I'm just freestyling, baby. We're just. <laughs> But I do think this is all... I'm kind of interested in where we're naturally going with this because it's all... Because it started out as like quite a jokey idea of complaining with a taker and like being a bitch and like self-advocacy. But I think it's true. But it's fundamentally also, I think, about like boundaries, which is a word that I think has been misused a Mm lot um, on the internet these days. But it is also... I think about boundaries and like as a woman and... Being able to stand firm and knowing what lines, instinctively knowing what lines feel uncomfortable when people cross them and whether or not you feel empowered enough to express that and to push back on that. Mm -hmm. And I think, I mean, I feel very grateful that as an adult, I think in most areas of my life I do. But I also, I don't know, it's always interesting to me when I speak to friends, like other female friends. And like Mm. you say, like they come to me for like, you know, this kind of advice or pep talk or whatever. And these are people who I think of as like very assertive, like with it women. I'm like, there's still a lot where I'm like baffled at why they are doubting themselves. That's it. I think when I when I hit you up, as I'm sure many other women do, there's uh, so there's one. There's the part one of it, which is the uh, I've been shafted on this hotel room. Yeah. Please give me a script. It's like annoying and like funny and like whatever. It's annoying and funny and also a fun way to check in. Yeah. Um, but there's this other part where I check in with you because. I can't quantify to myself why something feels wrong or like why I'm getting, I'm not getting the respect I deserve in an area where I feel, and and you're always the person who would like echo back to me what I'm saying and be like, this is the reason why, because they haven't respected this. They've deliberately done this and they've overstepped this line. You know what I mean? Mm. And like, I'm just, I'm just very grateful to have that in a friend. I'm happy, happy to do it, like you say. But I'm disappointed that I can't do it myself. I think it's harder to do that for yourself um, than it is for other people. I mean, what was the situation that happened? I mean, there was a situation that happened a couple of months ago. I can't go into too much depth, but it was essentially where it was a situation where I'd kind of like agreed to do a favor and then it became a like give an inch, take a mile. And I was feeling like oh god I'm feeling a bit difficult then I remember telling my dad about it and my publicist my you know my book publisher and they were both like what the fuck no this is not okay what they're asking and like swung in to sort it out so I do think and then I felt very vindicated and like I afterwards I could see yeah clearly that was a massive piss take but like in the Mm. moment I was like oh like I feel a bit bad about asking for X, Y, Z. So I think it's always easier to do on someone else's behalf. It definitely is. Than it is yourself. And I also think that like, and this is definitely happens a lot to me where, I think this happens to everyone actually, I'm definitely not special, where on some level you think that you do deserve this treatment, which happens a lot to me, Mm, I think. I don't think I have that. <laughs> Sorry, it sounds so like staying in the office, but I, no, it's, I think it's really interesting, and I th- I've heard a lot of people say that, and a lot of women say, yeah, that. I don't think I have that, but I'm int- interested. Yeah, where, where does that come from? <sighs> Is this a therapy session? <laughs> Is this a therapy? Session? Yeah, but like for it was, I, I um, I had like a really terrible situation with um with a person. Again, can't put to go into many details. And I 
my best friend and Gav, uh, we, I, I, they, both of them said to me at different occasions, like, I really need you to stop relaying everything that happened. I don't really know what you want us to do kind of thing. I'd like, we, like we, this been two months, you know, and you, you bring this up basically every three days. Like mm. this, what, what can we tell you other than you're in the right? Like, I was like, and then and then Ella said to me, "Is it because you suspect you're in the wrong?" I was like, "Yeah, I do." But she's like, "But, she's like, but this, 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 and this." And I was like, "But what if, what if basically something under some subtextual thing?" And I think it comes back to on some level, I just believe I'm like a nasty little girl. Oh, Caroline! <laughs> Sorry, that's a bit real for the podcast. That's so. That's interesting. Yeah, I'm just like just feel a bit sort of like a guilty and yucky. Because yeah. a negative thing has happened that kind of had nothing to do with me and more to do I feel with like the other person this is slightly above my pay grade. Okay, <laughs> but like in a probably most... above the listeners' pay grade. Yeah, come to listen to like podcasts about like the this... Gilmore Girls. I thought yeah, I thought this is, this podcast is about chiclet. <laughs> I know, me too, but it's somewhere else now. No, 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 no. But I think it's a really interesting conversation. Um, I mean, I think there's so many reasons why people, not just women might feel like that and why self-doubt is ingrained into you know the psyche I think the reasons I think the reasons I don't have that is partially um upbringing like in terms Mm. of uh I would say and I'm not saying that yours don't but I would say Mm. (laughs) for all their flaws my parents affirmed and do affirm me Mm. a lot in the sense of my talents you're very smart you're very this we're very impressed by everything you do and I also think my friends affirm me in terms of, like, me as a person, like, my values and whatever, which is, like, unbelievably lucky things to have. Mm. Um, and definitely on the friend side, I haven't always had that. Mm. Um, but I think, like, a thing that I often think is, well, so-and-so is friends with me and she's great, so that must mean that I'm fine. Yeah, that is nice. You know, so I'm just like, Caroline's great, so, like, I can't be that bad. <laughs> Well, like, Caroline has a good moral centre. Or, like, so-and-so has a good moral centre. So, like, that says something about me. Yeah. And it's why I really, I guess, I will look sideways at someone if they keep bad company. And I also am careful with the company I keep in that sense. That's such, like, a classic 1940s bit. It's very, say. <laughs> it is. It's very, like, but that's, again, very my parents. Very, like, yeah. Nigerian, like, parents being, like, you know, but why it's so attractive and why the whole like being a bitch thing is so attractive is because it's about holding the world to a standard. And that is a very relaxing thing to look at on screen or just enjoy being around. But I also think. it just makes your life easier. I think that's also like, you can kind of overcomplicate it, but it's like, it makes your life easier not having to do this shitty task that someone has pushed onto your plate, even though they should be doing it themselves. And like, there's already enough shit to deal with. Like, mm-hmm. I personally already have enough shit to deal with without also absorbing the difficulties that other people push onto my yeah. plate. And I think, for, I think for me, it is a lot of that. It's like, I do not have the bandwidth or capacity to cope with anything, any more hassle admin than what yeah. I generate for myself. So I'm not going to, you know, deal with what you put onto my plate. I think it really is about that. It's like self-preservation. Yeah. Um. So yeah, like yeah, I'm trying to give an example, but I don't want to be too specific. So yeah, no, I I actually got a very good example recently, and and again, this is a very specific to mine and your jobs, but I'm hoping that it is ge- 
there's generality in the specificities mm-hmm. as there is in everything. Um, but uh, I was having cover issues, which is book cover issues, which is something that authors go through a lot. Um, you have surprisingly little, uh, you know, correspondence with your designer, which I th- which I think kind of shouldn't be the way. I think probably everyone should have a meeting at the very beginning and then whatever. But um, I was talking about my frustrations with somebody else in the industry and she's an editor. And she said, you know, often when, a, when an editor shows you a terrible book cover that they've put together for your book, it means they've already lost a battle in-house with the sales team or with the marketing team and what they need from you is a really strong bitch letter saying how do you think this is acceptable that basically jolts everybody else <laughs> into into action yeah. and she told me that and I was like oh my god that yeah. is like I have been like doing this very they need to be able to go back and be like thing. the talent isn't happy that's what they actually need <laughs> like, and yeah. I'm only too happy to give them that like <laughs> A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. But it was it, it was like this kind of great thing of like, oh, we're all sort of like caught up in this kind of mealy mouth political work system. And sometimes people need a bitch and they need a leader. <laughs> exactly. But you're not going to get a book cover that you're happy with or that you think is good by being like, eh, I'm like kind of crying about it to yeah. me or Gav or whoever. It's unfortunately the only way you're going to get that in some scenarios. Yeah is by like putting your foot down. And I have also had that scenario where it's like, you know, the laptop is open, the, the yeah. email, I love sending a long email, but like the email comes out and being like, no, like this mm-hmm. is, and then voila, end up with a cover that I love. So some t- instead of you internalizing that, every mm-hmm. time you look at that cover that you hate, that is going to be out there in the world, that you worry is impacting your book sales. And yes, this is very specific to authors, but I'm sure people listening can come up with their own mm. examples. But instead of you having to put up with that for the rest of time, you can nip it in the bud, deal with it now and get what you want. And isn't that so much better? It is so much better. And it made me think a lot about, and this is more of an interpersonal relationship thing, about uh, passive aggression. Mm. And I think this is a thing where... Pet peeve. It's a pet peeve, but I also think it had a lot to do with, like, gendered stuff. I think women are just sort of so taught to alienate themselves from their own genuine either rage or frustration or just standards or whatever that they are... Like, I remember when I grew up, my mum taught me this phrase called the ankle tap, which is basically a nice word for sort of 
being passive aggressive to somebody who is uh being a dick kind of thing she's like oh you know i said this kind of slightly cutting thing and they and they received the message loud and clear and i think that works actually on in some situations but as a method for going through conflict is probably horrible advice because it makes people feel tense and confused and it makes them actually meditate on you and your intentions far more than they would. So often when you say something like a little bit passive aggressive or a little bit eye rolly to somebody who's who's not meeting your standards, breaking your boundaries, whatever you want to say, um, they will spend longer thinking about what you meant and therefore longer generating sort of negative vibes toward you and you become more of a cunt in their head. And there is also more capacity to be misunderstood. Yes. Rather than saying oh, this has made me unhappy because of why, or I don't like this, or can we change this? It's just passive aggression doesn't, it's not fruitful, it's not productive. Yeah, and I do think part of it is like, and when you see it with like women in their part, I'm thinking mostly of heterosexual women, but possibly it applies to queer dynamics as well, um, where women are so afraid of male rage because obviously mm. men are are taught to externalize their anger and just like I remember when me and Gav first got together and we first started having our you know couple fights or whatever he was someone who just he grew up in a very male household he would just kind of blow a gasket a bit and then he'd sort of forget about it 10 minutes later and he would never do it in this kind of in that in not in the scary male way of like clenching your fists and making mm. yourself bigger but he just sort of have a bit of a yell and just kind of fucking get over it and Jesus Christ and whatever and then he'd be over it and my method of arguing was so based in that kind of passive aggressive sort of like well i suppose if we're not going out at eight o'clock then i won't need to get ready will i kind of thing Do you know what, that it's sort of so thing. interesting you say that because i can think of so many conflicts and like fallouts i've had in my life particularly in my 20s where i would say that again my family unit really socialized to externalize our <laughs> <Yeah>. discontent <laughs> yeah or age and that was how i grew up and that was um, yeah, really just what I thought everyone did until I guess I got into my 20s and, you know, you're more likely to have like more serious disagreements with your friends than you are in your teens. Um, and I would, I guess, be like openly annoyed and then people would be terrified. And I was like, but I'm just expressing how I feel. Mm. And like you come at me as well. Like, yeah, you do that yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. And like you, let's just both be like, oh, I'm annoyed, this is annoying. But it'd be like, they'd be like, oh my God, this is a really big fucking deal. And yeah, and, like, they, and they no. kind of shut down on you. And probably. they shut down and then they're like, we need to have a talk. And I'm like, no, like I just, I'm not going to pretend I'm not annoyed about this. Let's talk about that. Yeah. And then for me, once that conversation has been had, I will forget it and let it go. I will, and, yeah. and I always will check with a friend, like, I think before that, I'm like, is there anything still on your chest that you need to get off your chest? Like, have you said everything I do not want you to have any kind of festering discontent. Like, if you, like, please be honest with me, even if you think I'm going to be offended, but, like, let's get it all now. Yeah. Get it all out now so that we can hash it out and then genuinely be over it as opposed to just pretend to be. That's, I think that's great. <laughs> but also... It but also leads to a lot more conflict. A lot more conflict, yeah. But then I guess you then end up surrounding yourself with people who have the stomach for it or are willing to have the stomach for it. And maybe that's kind of better. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But you know, it, it also, the last time you and I got drunk, I remember you gave me this very big sweet hug and you were like, if there's ever any issues between us, I hope you come to me first. And it was, it was so... It was like a lovely HR manager. It really I was. was. Like, what, a, what a lovely... And you were like, what a weird thing to finish a lovely <laughs> long lunch with. <laughs> Instead of, I think it was also the last time I saw you before Christmas. Yeah. And it was like... You fucking weird. Because, but I was like, yeah. I'm very happy to tell people, although I've kind of tempered this a little bit because I think something is, as I've gotten older, I've learned that you have to learn to let something slide. But I'm very mm. okay with raising things with people if they've done something that's really upset me or annoyed me or irritated me. And I'm like, I want you to feel the same, vice versa. And I am absolutely not afraid to apologize and to mean it. I think that's another thing as well. It's like, mm. I would always rather be given the, this has gone so off topic, but yeah. I would always rather be given the opportunity to apologise. I don't think there's any, if I'm not sorry, I won't apologise, but I will feel so, like, even if I didn't intend to hurt someone's feeling, I will feel sad and sorry that yeah. they feel that way. Yeah. I think it's all on point, actually. Mm. Of like, because I do think what, what this actually comes back down to is how we are just taught to make things nice. Yes. <laughs> for yes. people, for everyone around us. And all I the think time. it's also like, I think it's also a very British thing because when I say culturally, my family, unit, I'm Nigerian. Mm-hmm. And that is not, Nigerians fucking argue and fight. Like, I remember yeah. when I went to Lagos a couple of years ago and I just was like, oh my, like, I just felt so seen. Like, there was like two men, like, having like a screaming match in the street. <laughs> like, and I was like, it's, it's not. I was like, if this happened in Britain, people would be like, oh my god, they'd be filming it. Please be called. Yeah. I was like, they're just, you know, arguing over a parking space. It's fine. So express. That's how we express ourselves. It's like it's very heightened. Yeah. And I'm very used to that, and I don't think I take that that seriously. But actually, in a within a British context, that really does not work. In terms of people trying to like feminize conflict, mm-hmm. um, I do think. So- Something that really fascinates me is Elizabeth Holmes, but but not for the reasons that everyone else is fascinated. <laughs> Obviously, I'm talking about the woman who scammed everybody with the blood idea. Do you know what is mad, though? Because before last year, like I had some like, health stuff last year, and I'd never had to have a blood test before. Mm-hmm. So I didn't realise just how appealing her supposed invention was uh-huh. and why it was, if it had worked... Yeah. such a fucking billion dollar idea because yeah. last year I had to have so many blood tests for various reasons like constantly schlepping to this or that hospital or whatever blood draw you have to wait two weeks to get the results blah, blah blah and she had this whole thing that supposedly you know it'd be one pinprick pin that you could do you in like everything. boots yeah, yeah and then you'd get your results in like 15 minutes and I'm like genuinely I'm almost like that would have revolutionized yeah, healthcare. healthcare and I can yeah. see why like if that if somebody actually genuinely invented that, I would throw all of my fucking money into it. It's it, I mean it's still amazing how far she got. Yeah, like yeah. she had the contract with Walgreens, which is like the Boots of America, like yeah. insane. But I think <laughs> good I think good <laughs> you better work. Fellow um, Forbes thirty under thirty alumni. <laughs> Oh, were you a Forbes 30 or 30? I was, I was. No. So many people on that list have gone to jail, so. <laughs> so you're doing pretty good. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm still, you know, still walking around. Um, but there was a, um, but something that really fascinated people was her sort of presentation, right? Which mm. is the sort of like icy, blonde, black, polo neck, um, and the, the very deep voice mm. sounds a little bizarre. 
Um, and and then people would, you know, have videos of her naturally speaking and realise that it was a kind of a character she was putting on. Mm. And what I find so fascinating about that is that to me, she struck me as a woman who had seen a lot of rom-coms. And like, it's almost like there's always this sort of idea of like a Nancy woman Myers in charge. Movies. Like a Nancy Myers movie, mm. like a woman in charge. Not even rom-coms, but just like very commercial movies. Like the kind of roles that like Sharon Stone might play mm. of just like this is a bus. This is a bus. This is a bus. It's almost like Miranda Priestley of yeah. like this is a bus, and I'm gonna like sort of say things to you in a monotone. I expect a lot, and I reward a lot, and da, da, da. and that is definitely an idea that was given to us. I feel like the maybe golden age of cinema, sort of. 30s, 40s, 50s, Betty Davis, Joan Crawford, Catherine Hepburn, you had these quite loud women with quite distinctive voices and it was like very theatre and projecty and my God, are you all idiots in here? And da, 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 da. And then it, maybe it was like a self-corrective influence. I don't know exactly where it came from, but it be, then this sort of like cool-headed boss woman who's a psychopath kind of thing came in. And for me, that's where Elizabeth Holmes was taking her cues from, that sort of tradition of that kind of Miranda Priestly tradition or the Sharon Stone and Basic Instinct tradition, you know? Yeah, that's interesting because I think she was also influenced a bit. I mean, I guess this was just the outfit thing where she was influenced supposedly by Steve Jobs, yeah, the former, the late, I guess, CEO mm-hmm. of Apple, founder of Apple or whatever. Um, but then, yeah, there was also that thing where it's like she definitely led, read like leadership for dummies 101 yeah. or like how to be a leader. Like she read Lean In and all that kind yeah. of thing. Like, she yeah, definitely, all these little titbitty life hacks. And she, she definitely internalised the idea that she basically had to act in order to get what yeah. she wanted. Like she was not being herself. She was putting on an entire persona, like an entire affectation, like literally down to the voice, which is insane when yeah. you think about it and she had you know i i listened actually to like the very long podcast series that went into depth about the court case and what happened and it's super fascinating and it's almost like she she almost like boned up like made notes on like because there were notes leaked between her and her, her partner about like how to project um authority and he like gave her like notes on yeah. how to project authority. Yeah. And then she took them on board. So I think there was yeah, it's it was a very kind of formalized yeah, it's it's again probably it harks back to that kind of girl boss era because she was just doing like the female version of Steve Jobs, which is what she wanted to be. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a big part of the girl boss era is like even though it was very much geared towards women. It was about aping men. Yeah. And the same types of success the same you know we we just wanted the exact same things and to be in the same rooms or yeah. the girl boss movement was aimed at getting you in the same position as the men yes so yeah but it, yeah it was this thing of like i think it's impossibility was also the thing about it of like if you take it all, it's like you had to be sort of like traditionally hot but what would have happened when she had a, kids what would i don't know you know yeah like, and that was and and that was another thing. I remember Sheryl Sandberg, or was it? It was either Sheryl Sandberg or Marissa Meyer, who was like the CEO of Yahoo or something mm-hmm. around the same time. And they were both like level pegging for like Queen Girl Boss um, in that kind of Silicon Valley tech um, era. But she caught a lot of flack because she went back to work very soon after having a baby. Yeah, but that was because at her level, which was like you know 
millionaire, billionaire CEO. She just like installed a crash next door to her office. Yeah. And then she was really like, women should go back to work. And it was like, you can do that. Yeah. And you can have your two nannies, like whatever. But most women can't do that. And so that kind of CEO girl boss version of success, like just totally didn't accommodate for the fact that things change when women have kids, unfortunately. Um, the way most offices are currently set up for everyone, but like the CEO, basically. Mm, yeah. Where do you think we are with that now? With girl in boss terms culture? of like, what does sort of female domination and success actually look like in the public eye now? Because I think that's like, you know, that is a really 10 good years ago, question. you know? Because I have definitely noticed, and, I, and like, obviously, you see, you know, a couple hundred people engaging in like a TikTok trend and then people want to say it's a movement and it more than often isn't. It's just people sort of trying on something for a minute. I fucking hate that. I hate it as well. But there's definitely the like, I'm in my dumb bitch era. I'm in my dumb... Which I think is fun. So the whole like goblin mode thing. Yes, yes. You know, the death of ambition. I I hate that narrative as well. And I think where it comes from is the fact that post-pandemic... And also I think when you get to a certain age as well, which I definitely noticed, where I was like, I am not going to work in the way... I don't have the energy to Mm. work in the way I worked for a lot of my 20s. Um, And I'm just going to kind of have to be savvier and like work smarter, not harder, whatever. But I am not as like desperate to... I'm like, there's different ways to be successful. And I don't have to be like the shining star 1% in order to be successful. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And I think a lot of people, especially post-pandemic, you know, people have thought about work-life balance a lot more and people have moved countries. And for instance, I think a lot more about quality of life. Like I don't think that I want to live in London for the rest of my life. Like I think in a couple Mm -hmm. of years, I want to get out kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And that is not something that I would have thought before the pandemic. And I also recognise it probably comes with some professional consequences. Mm -hmm. And I think that has kind of, so that like very normal and rational um, and fitting kind of readjustment slightly of how much of yourself you want to give to work and how important and what you define success as has kind of like intensified and tipped over into this whole goblin mode, dumb bitch era, I don't give a shit, disassociative pout era. And I hate that because it's not true and only certain people can afford to do that I'm like okay well in your whole goblin mode dumb bitch era like how are you going to pay your council tax like if you're checking out you know things like that so I think things have kind of gone too far the other way and I think it's also like a kind of status symbol as well it's like the girl who at school who was always like oh I mean was this me who was like I haven't revised at all yeah I'm so gonna fail everyone I think that to be honest was me Um, and then we'd come out with like great marks whatever yeah i feel like the whole like goblin mode dumb girl yeah is that that's so interesting whereas they're either underpinned by familial wealth or they secretly are working quite hard yeah but it's not cool it's it's like the antithesis of the girl boss where it's no longer cool to visibly be working very hard and to be like hustling yeah yeah that's that's where that's interesting Mm. then like the thing yeah they probably are still working hard but like it's a thing of like anyone if you're like of a sort of a digital savvy millennial portfolio career type of person not even necessarily a creative person but just in that sort of pattern of career you likely you graduated in a recession you 
probably started working, you know, for 18 grand a year that had to be like supplemented with extra gigs around the side. Um, As you kind of moved up, then you, you, the supplementary gigs probably stayed, but just got bigger and more higher rent. Um, You started fighting for promotions. You started staying at work late. And then you probably, by the time you hit 29, hit your first big burnout where you... Right. Yeah, I used to very frequently stay at my desk till 8 or 9 p.m. And then... And if that hadn't happened before the pandemic, everyone burns out. Everyone burns out. And then it's like, so when you're talking about this goblin mode, dumb bitch era thing, it's actually just people putting in a regular shift at work that their parents were doing. Quite quite quitting. Yeah, I, I sign off work at six o'clock every day. It's like we are living in an apocalypse yes. if that's quiet quitting. So true. It's like that's what they're paying you for. Yeah. Um no, totally. And I think it's people realizing that work has encroached on their life too much. And women, I think, realizing that there are different models of success, um, I think is a very positive thing. I think I've kind of chilled out a bit. Yeah. On that front, in the sense that I would say that I am, I think my thing prior to the pandemic and also when I was younger was that I had real like timed milestones that I wanted to have done certain mm. things by. Whereas I still have like the same, you know, I still have these career ambitions of what I would like to like achieve. But it's more like, ah, oh, like over a lifetime or like, you know, in the next couple of decades, I would like to have done. X, Y, Z. Yeah. Whereas before I was very rigid about like, I need to do this by 28, 29, 30, you know, like. So something we both discussed when uh, very vaguely planning this episode was Nicki Minaj pickle juice moment. Mm. I put quality in what I do. I spend time and I spend energy and I spend effort and I spend everything I have, every fiber of my being to give people quality. So if I turn up to a photo shoot and you ha- and you got a $50 clothes budget, and some sliced pickles on the mother foot. You want to know what? No, I am going to leave. Is that wrong for wanting more for myself? Wanting people to treat me with respect? But you know what? Next time they know better. But had I accepted the pickle juice, I would be drinking pickle juice right now. I cannot express to you. I haven't watched that clip in a really long time. I cannot express to you how deeply I internalised it Mm. when it first started circulating, which was probably like a good seven or eight years, probably longer ago. And how much, again, hearing it, it spoke to me in terms of like my personal ethos. I'm obviously not Nicki Minaj and she's like a fucking, you know, unbelievable what she does, super talented, whatever. But I think, like, I wouldn't be like, oh, I'm the Nicki Minaj of the writing world. Like, I... Do you know what I mean? It's like, I'm like, she's at the top of, absolute top of her field. I'm like somewhere doing quite well in my field. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah we all understand how you're not Nicki Minaj. Yes. <laughs> I'm the Nicki Minaj of publishing. But what I do like is also what she talked about as wanting her reputation to precede her. I, there are so many times where I'm like, I know that maybe a couple of people in our industry who've worked with me think I'm difficult mm-hmm. um, and I've been told that in a nice way by a friend but I was also like it means that people don't fuck me around and if I feel like I want my reputation or don't mm. <laughs> don't fuck me around as much mm. and I feel like I want if you communicate what your standards are very publicly which for me my bugbear is people ask me to work for free mm-hmm. unless it's like a charity it just eliminates those requests 
like or reduces them mm. way 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 more if people know oh that's not really something that yeah she stands for yeah um and like she says if she if she'd accepted if you so a situation i was in recently where i essentially kind of agreed to do something kind of it wasn't a charity but i agreed to do it at a very low fee because i was like it's a good organization i want to support and i didn't charge them what i would usually charge them and then they basically treated me quite poorly and when i told my dad about it he was like yeah well if you bill yourself treat cheap if you bill yourself cheaply people are going to treat you cheaply <laughs> it's yeah. just like good point like you know that is the last time i do that so i think it's people people treat you with people sense your boundaries and mm. sense your standards and sense how far they can push you and they treat you accordingly and so i think it's some i think sometimes it is incumbent on us and incumbent on women to communicate that very clearly that's the thing the thing that she says in that clip that like really speaks to me is that like i'm i'm like busting my ass here i'm like i'm trying really hard my entire like like essence is being poured into this music into this show into this image i'm selling people this incredible fantasy and this incredible art and like you can't meet me where i'm at kind of thing yeah which is disrespectful it is disrespectful and it's so funny because we spoke about this recently but like this thing of um when you start out in an industry and you you're th- sort of threatened with the reputation of the women, mm, yeah, the, of other women of being like, <laughs> oh, you're so much nicer than so and so. We had her in here last week, and you know she was a real, um, which I think actually, and it, then you kind of, especially initially, yeah. I remember like vowing to always be like very nice and amenable, and I would yeah. never give anyone reason to talk about the fact that I was quite difficult, demanding, or quite yeah. controlling. And then bit by bit, you start to realise why <laughs> right. people yeah. or these women are difficult demandants because they just kind of have standards for themselves. Yeah. And also it's like, um, again, to go back to the gender thing, like I'm actually going to give this example because it pissed me off so much, but I had one of my books translated into a foreign language mm. and the editorial team there decided to make some quite substantial changes to my words mm-hmm. in a way that I felt changed the meaning. How did you find that out? Because they emailed me two days before it was supposed to go to print. Okay. And I was like, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Um, and became this whole thing backwards and forwards. And I was like... And then in the end, obviously, they backed down because I was like, I'm not signing off on this. And actually later on, emailed saying, do you know, actually, you were right. Like, sorry. And I was like... This wouldn't happen to fucking Jonathan Franzen. Like, can you imagine an editor emailing Jonathan Franzen and being like, hey, so we've actually decided to make these changes to the entirety of this book that fundamentally kind of alter a lot of what you're talking about and it's happening. Like, they would get such a bollocking for that. But I feel like because I was like, and also I didn't, they didn't know me very well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So I think because I was like a young woman writing about like, and I'm quite progressive and liberal and whatever, I think they thought it'd be like, okay. Yeah, there's, there is definitely that. Um, I can't remember why I brought that up, but I just think it's... No, it it does all make sense. It's that like... But it's the gender thing again, where the behaviour... You know, 
Nikki, Nikki, my friend Nikki just talked mm-hmm. about how Lil Wayne is when he's on a set or on a shoot, whatever, mm-hmm. and how she is. And it, it is still the truth, even though it's tedious and cliched and hackneyed, and it's been said so many times, there are still so many examples where you think to yourself, that wouldn't have happened if I was a man. Yeah. I'm like, who would have dared? I just keep going back to Jonathan Franzen because, or just any male author, and thinking who would have dared to inform him of that way, not to ask his permission, but yeah. to inform him and then to push back when he said no. Completely. Like, it's still it's still that way. Like, I even had lunch with a publicist the other day saying about how she uh, is representing a male author and she's a mostly female list. And she was like, I had totally forgotten how easy it is to get men review space. Oh, really? She was like, it's been chillingly easy to get his book reviewed. Chillingly easy is the word she used. But there's definitely been like a online bitch narrative where it's like, hey, this character who we all thought was a bitch when we were growing up or or whatever. Uh, actually, this fucking lady rules. <laughs> she was really mistreated. Mistre- and uh, well, The peak one of that is like an, uh, a viral article that goes around every few years from, from the McSweeney's called uh, Baroness Von Schrader. Oh yeah, I love that. I do Baroness love Von Schrader regrets to inform you she has cancelled her wedding to Captain Von Trapp or something like that. Where it's just like her point of view, <laughs> sound of music of being like, yes, we were engaged for some years, um, but I regret to tell you he is now sleeping with the nanny. <laughs> Literally. It's so true. And it's like, she was mean and wanted them wanted to send them to boarding school. And it's like, yeah, because those kids were fucking feral. Those kids were feral. <laughs> they shouldn't, you should not be raising your, however many, how many kids was it again? Seven. Seven kids in this like And he was emotionally unique, repressed. He was repressed. He was summoning them by whistle. That was the, that was the childhood that Captain, that, that um, Baroness von Schrader was witnessing. He's like, this guy has not over his dead wife. He is calling his children by whistle. They're feral. They're chasing away nannies. It seems like they need to be like socialized properly in the best Right. Did we Swiss ever see any schools? of them have a friend? No. Apart from Liesl. <laughs> she became friends with the Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly their judgment was off. They yeah. needed to be socialized. They, yeah. They needed to go to boarding school. <laughs> like seriously poor judgment. It's so true. Literally the only person we ever saw them interact with as like befriend was a fucking yeah. Nazi. I, <laughs> yeah, and because he was somebody who would like break into their grounds to see Liesl because she was hot. Otherwise they're not, they're hanging out trees, they're wearing curtains. Like, I feel like we don't take the curtains thing seriously enough. It's like, oh wow, she made them play clothes. It's like, Liesl's 17 mm. and she is wearing curtains <laughs> hanging out with her eight-year-old sibling. Why? Also, like, they clearly had money, so why did she feel the need to repurpose the curtain fabric? Oh, because she, she said to him, wear their play clothes, and he's like, go fuck yourself. And she's like, well, these curtains are old. The fabric's going loose. How do you solve a problem like Maria? Um, oh, but like, you really do feel for the Baroness. <laughs> You're like, she was fabulous. She was so chic and glamorous. I bet they had the best sex. Oh, my God. I hadn't <laughs> even thought about that. Yeah, because I think he would just disappear off with her for... That was kind of the, the inf- inferring thing, wasn't it? That he would fuck off with her to the continent for a few weeks, then he'd come back for a bit and he'd fuck off God, with her again. and then he just divorced... I'm um, not divorced. And then he... Broke off the engagement. That was fucking cold. And she was a queer ally. She went everywhere with her gay friend. <laughs> In 1938. What I was going to say is she also handled it very graciously very graciously that was what i always even as a child remembering that yeah like she didn't scream and shout she didn't 
insult. She didn't really throw accusations. She was clearly disappointed. Yeah. But she just kind of excused herself from the narrative. She did. Go, she did. Well, she she she, she had a, she had a quick word with Maria. I remember she was like, "He does this." Yeah, <laughs> I think it was very much a, "He does this." Like, <laughs> there'll be another. <laughs> like, I'm yeah. passing on the baton. Like, good and, luck. But she, but even though she handled that confrontation, was very like, "I think you may be embarrassing yourself here, dear." Yeah, yeah. I think perhaps, <laughs> maybe. Do we think this is a bit harder? He's a lot older than you. He's a lot older than you. Oh, God. He is the fittest man in film, I think. Captain Von Trapp. Mm. What's his name again in real life? Christopher? Christopher Plummer. Mm. Woodbang. Um, Yay. I don't think it's quite... He was just a little bit repressed. And also, I do think I just associate that movie with, like, childhood. Yeah. So I just can't, like... Can't think about banging him. No. Fair enough. I also think the uh, stepmom, the potential stepmom from The Parent Trap, maligned. Meredith, what did she actually do to the, those kids? She tried to go on a like a woodsy vacation with them, and then they were very mean to her. They pranks. She on was twenty seven. Did she want to send? Oh, don't. She also wanted to send them to boarding school. Why fucking not? Because otherwise they'd be apart, surely. Yeah. So like, better parenting than their own parents. Yeah. Let's at least ins- they can be together at boarding school, not fucking living on other opposite sides of the Atlantic. Let's yeah. Let's instead root for the marriage that was so bad that they ripped apart their children <laughs> and we're never going to put them back together. I also think, and if- we're never going to see that. I think it. Yeah. What actually astounds me. I know this has been like done to death, <laughs> but it was like as a parent being like, I will never again, ever again. Yeah. See one of my children. Or the father of my child. Father of the child, fine. Yeah. I'm actually like, fine. Bad divorce. Don't want to see him. Yeah. We'll hand over, leave him outside the front door. I'm a single mom now. Fine. Like, what did their friends and family say? It's bizarre. And like, it's the kind of thing that we just shouldn't dig into because it's like... It's a children's film. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You just but, need to accept the premise of that. Yeah, plot. yeah, because because the great plot doesn't work otherwise. Yeah, it just doesn't. Yeah, Lindsay Lohan's greatest role. Yeah, so fine. you know, let's just move on. But but it is bizarre. But like, let's instead root for that those people when like, or like again, Miranda Priestly, misunderstood. Who knows what she had to do yeah. to get like she is essentially a surrogate for Anna Wintour at mm-hmm. Condé Nast, which like Condé Nast sounds like a difficult place to get to the top of yeah i don't actually i wouldn't paint anna wintour as an underdog so maybe maybe scrap but i think the real underdog of that movie is emily emily blunt yeah because she put in the time yeah she was supposed to go to paris yeah but also there's this thing of like and i think that, that underlines a lot of bitch mentality in both real life and in film which is there can only be one of us mm. which is the showgirls thing as well right there's like this thing of like and Chicago, it was like this thing. There's only really room for one big dog here, who's also a woman, and so it's a scarcity mindset. Like, and sometimes that. that's explicitly conveyed and actually used to kind of motivate people to make them work harder. Yeah, to be like, well, there's only one seat at the table for a woman, so who's it going to be? Like, I've literally experienced that, and oh god, this is so insane. I remember when I worked at um, Vice, and my boss at the time, there were like two senior women. Hmm. Um, and I've spoken about this publicly before. There were two senior women on my team who were like more senior than me. And essentially either one of them could and should probably have been promoted to like head of that department, mm-hmm. head of that team. 
And then I remember my boss, who was just like a total prick, like telling me in confidence once, being like, yeah, like, you know, I really want to promote like one of them, but like, they're so like competitive with each other that like, I can't like give the promotions like one or the other. And it was like, so you're keeping them both down. Wow. Because you have positioned them in competition with each other. Yeah. And then literally within a couple of months, they'd both left. Yeah. I was like, well, that's what happens when you don't progress people. Yeah. Because of your weird fucking misogyny. And you've like, you've put them in competition with each other in your head. And they're both obviously clearly unhappy because they should be promoted. Yeah. It was just bizarre. That is bizarre. God. Yeah. Vice. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole other... Maybe we could do part two. Just part two. Take a experience advice. Um, we should wrap up now, but you... Um, this has been great, I think. I've really enjoyed it. Um, As have I, sorry. The delay there was in the fact that I was swallowing water. I totally have. And also, I feel... I think there's rich pickings. I can't wait to hear, yeah. dear listeners, what you think of this. Um, I, yeah, thank you for having me on. And I hope this makes it to air. (laughs) (laughs) We have a joke that um, I'm going to sit here and talk about all this and Caroline's just going to decline to air. I lost the audio. Yeah. But um, uh, you are the author of many books. I am. Why not speak about them? Okay, so I've written three books, the most recent of which is called We Need to Talk About Money. And it's a part memoir, part cultural commentary about my experiences with money. And what they say more generally about hmm. the world, and particularly women's positions in it. Can you tell I've given that spiel? Yeah, lovely. Um, but it is or was a Sunday Times bestseller, and I also think it's pretty good. So go check it out. I've also written a short essay called Whites, um, which is about racism and the fallacy of allyship. And my very first book, my very first book, was called Little Black Book: A Toolkit for Working Women, and you know what? It's stood the test of time. It's still a fucking great book. So yeah, thank you very much. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.